Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development and the people that make it happen. I'm Todd Gardner from JavaScript, from TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring, and my co-host, David Walsh, creator of the popular blog, davidwalsh.name. How are you doing today, David? Good. How are you? We didn't have a uh, show last week because you were you were absent. How was PubCon? Yeah, that was that was totally my fault that we didn't have a show last week. Uh, <laughs> last week, I ran a, uh, an event called PubConf where I basically rent out a bar and get uh, famous uh, tech speakers to do uh, five-minute funny talks. And it was great. It was, a, it was a fantastic event. But normally, I do this really clever opening uh, where I tell some jokes, except I totally failed. Like, I, I just totally bombed this thing. I didn't, have, I didn't have my remote. There was, like, all kinds of, like, weird timing effects on my, on my slides. The presentation just bombed. But, <laughs> but all these people had come, like, kind of expecting, you know, my typical kind of stand-up bit. And so it was funny in a totally unintentional sort of way of, like, watching me crash and burn on stage, being totally <laughs> frazzled that none of my jokes worked. And so the crowd was still, like, laughing and funny, and, and it was super – it was fun. It's just – it took me, you know, 10, 15 minutes to realize that it was still funny. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like every talk I've ever given where I try to be funny. <laughs> yeah, it turns out to be unintentionally funny. It's like, oh, that was the joke. The thing I was serious about is what everybody laughed at. Yeah. yeah. All right, but we have a couple of guests on our show today, don't we? That we do. Uh, we talked about Dojo 2 a little bit last week. And having myself worked a lot on Dojo in the past, I was like, hey, let's get the Dojo guys to come on and tell us about it. So we have Dylan Sheeman and Nick Nisi to, uh, to pepper with questions, and, and hopefully we get to learn a whole bunch about the, the second incarnation of Dojo. Cool. So welcome Thanks. on the show, fellas. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having Hi. us. Thank you. Um, I'm Dylan. I'm the CEO at SitePen, co-founder of Dojo, and long, long-time JavaScript enthusiast. Enthusiast. I'm just, just an enthusiast. You don't do anything with it. You're just enthusiastic about oh, it. Oh, I'm being trying to not exaggerate my experience, but I've worked, with, I've worked with JavaScript since '96, so I know a few things about it. <laughs> and Nick, I'm Nick. hey, I'm Nick, uh, and I'm a developer at SitePen, uh, working on Dojo Two, and uh, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, and I am one of the organizers of the Nebraska JavaScript Conference. Oh, awesome! Cool. Another. Is Nebraska considered Midwest? Yes. Okay. okay. All right. Bunch of Midwest boys here. I like it. And I'm in, down in Phoenix, but I was born in the Midwest. So there you go. This is going to be good. All right. So Dojo. I've heard you tell the story a little bit, Dylan, of how and why Jojo started. But can you give us a brief sort of, this is how Dojo started. This is where it came from. Sure. Uh, so the year is 2004, and I was interested in JavaScript and Alex Russell, another early JavaScript person and myself, were um, just working on this other project called NetWindows, which got a nice cease and desist order from Microsoft over the use of the word <laughs> Windows. It's always fun, which actually will be, make an interesting full circle story in a moment. Um, 
but we were we were building real applications on the web, which was heretical at the time. I mean, this was the days of Java applets and Flash, and I don't even think Silverlight was a thing yet. And we wanted to do, and we could do powerful things in the browser, and we were tired of reinventing the wheel. And so we had a mailing list, and we wrote to a bunch of people and said, hey, what would you look for in a next-generation DHTML framework? That was the pitch. And people started answering and started contributing, and Dojo took off. And in 2005, we released the first 0.1 release and um, quickly gained a lot of traction in the enterprise, and the rest is history. But the idea was to treat JavaScript and the browser as a real programming platform for building serious applications. So would you say that Dojo was the first, well, you were the first ones to do this? I don't know if we were the first. There were a couple of commercial toolkits. There was Bindos and there was Isomorphic. Bindos, yes. because that doesn't violate. The no, of course not. <laughs> we changed the letter to B and now Absolutely. we're cool. <laughs> And the reason everyone did that is people actually created like windows in the browser, you know, like window management stuff because people were used to desktop applications that had little panes you could slide around and drag around. And so it was a big compelling feature to like one of the earliest impressive Dojo demos someone created was like a Linux desktop in a browser. Like, why would you ever want that other than it was cool? But yeah. I think most JavaScript projects are created for that reason, though. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's Atwood's law, right? I think if, <laughs> if you can do it in JavaScript, it, it'll be done in JavaScript or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the reason we're putting like Quake 1 into the browser at this point. It's not It's not that anybody's going to like go back and play it in their browser. It's just it's cool. Absolutely. Like, look, I made Quake right. in the browser. In the browser. <laughs> okay, so jumping forward just a little bit, right? So I mentioned this in previous shows, but Dylan actually gave me a start in remote uh, in remote uh, work through SitePen, and that was roughly around the time of Dojo 1.4, 1.5, 1.6-ish, right? And myself being a MooTools guy, and of course we had a jQuery guy, Ray Bango, introduce us, so... That was an interesting uh, axis. But I went from MooTools, which was, had, um, you know, its strength was classes and its, its general structure, right, of, of um, enhancing prototypes and so on and so forth. Um, but then when I got to SitePen and I started using Dojo full time, I got, uh, like, I had the holy shit. Like, this is fucking, like, this is way bigger than anything else. Um, how, how did Dojo get so far ahead of the curve? Because when I look at, at your competitors of jQuery and MooTools, again, they had a small subset, but Dojo was this huge thing. You know, Dojo was the first time I remember um, there being deferreds in promises. Like, how did you guys get out in front like that? I think we just had a really strong group of like the first 30 people that took JavaScript seriously all get together for a very short amount of time, maybe six months to a year and say, this is what I want. And then we had very specific use cases for building these applications that like facilities management software and, you know, real time charting and vector graphics and just problems that most people were like, how do I like color a button and, you know, add a drop down list to my page? 
And we were like, no, I want to put the craziest, most ambitious software applications into the browser. And that's what Dojo was designed for. So in many ways, prototype tools and jQuery were more libraries and Dojo was more toolkit or framework at the time. And I mean, by the end of the Dojo One um, cycle, we had something like 1,400 modules of stuff you could do, ranging from like vector graphics and drawing to data grids to widgets to you know functional extensions to the language, just kind of this full spectrum of stuff. But really, it goes back to just getting a really interesting group of people together early on from a wide set of backgrounds. Right, and so at the time, uh, Dojo if I remember correctly, it was split, split into three parts, right? There was the core dojo, and that's like the animations library, all the DOM stuff, all the Ajax stuff. That was one part. Then you had Digit, which was this incredible UI framework. And I always used to beg on Digit when I was working with it a ton. And it wasn't until after I stopped working with it did I realize that I was so pissed off with it sometimes because it did 99% of what I wanted and not the 1%. Like, I just... I had, I had had it easy for a while, you know, and I just didn't, I didn't recognize it at the time. Um, There's then, really only two kinds of, of programming tools. There's the kinds that everybody hates and those are the kinds that never get used. Right. <laughs> right. right. Okay. And then yeah. the third, the third yeah. part was Dojo X and Dojo X was like a, a treasure trove of some of the stuff that you mentioned, you know, um, graphics libraries, enhanced widgets, um, like you name it was, was just sort of in there. And the nice thing about that is that they were all written within the same sort of dojo philosophy. So if you were using jQuery and you wanted to have charting, you needed to learn a new API, but now that you had it, you know, within, within sort of the dojo family, you could easily slide into these utilities and not need to learn a completely new set of, of tool really. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, we had something like D3 in Dojo X four or five years before D3 came to be. And that was both its strength and its weakness. We had it, but it was so big that people almost didn't even notice some of these things because it was like, wow, how am I going to find it in this sea of you know separate projects? Um, you know, To talk to your point about Digit, I think what frustrated you the most was actually IE6 and all the ridiculous things we had to do for <laughs> right. the time. Color me terrible. shocked. I'm shocked that terrible, IE6 right? was the hard part. <laughs> just like terrible DOM node structures and extra classes and just brutal things to make. Like a rich text editor work in IE6. Like, come on, right? No one wants to solve that problem anymore. and No one should have to. Right, but that also speaks to the power of Digit and, you know, yeah. especially Dojo X and some of the stuff within that, that it worked within IE6. That was, that's amazing. Yep. Um, so your company, SitePen, what, what is SitePen's, what, what has been SitePen's role in pushing Dojo forward? Um, what, what sort of, where does the open source uh, basic contributor flow um, intersect with how SitePen helps to push Dojo forward. Right. So from our inception, Dojo has lived in an open source foundation, which early on was called the Dojo Foundation and then merged actually with the jQuery Foundation to form the JS Foundation. And the thinking there is Dojo should be bigger than any one company. Um, And there are a lot of other projects that are part of the JS Foundation, like Webpack and, of course, jQuery and Lodash and um, a bunch of others like 30 some projects, I think at this time. 
Um, but so the idea was always intentionally made that like, hey, SitePen is this commercial firm that believes strongly in the values of open source. But SitePen's business model is to help people succeed with building web applications. So that could be development, support, training, consulting, um, that sort of stuff on top of open source. But it's not necessarily just limited to, say, using Dojo. It could be, hey, I want to build an app with React, or I want to build an application with jQuery, or, or whatever. Um, so that's kind of its focus. But the idea is, by investing in open source and by really understanding how the platform works on a deep level, we as an engineering team understand the web and the practicalities of building complex things on the web. So we're not sort of sitting there saying, hmm, I hope React fixes this thing someday, to instead like digging down, figuring out what the problem is and really fixing it. And the knowledge you learn from creating an open source framework from you know, the lowest level to the highest level really helps you solve any kind of problem. So it's like, we want to make the web better. We want to understand the web as much as possible. And we want to help people succeed in building applications on the web. And to me, those things kind of fit together naturally, but it's really nice to have them have a somewhat of a separation. Now for Dojo 2, we've done the lion's share of development. But to me, most projects don't get off the ground if there are too many cooks in the kitchen, right? If you have a hundred people trying to contribute to something from day one, you end up with a hundred different things that don't really fit together. So we've had a pretty small team of, you know, about 20 people or so working on Dojo 2 over its, you know, couple of years, we've really been work focused on it. Um, but now it's at the point where, hey, it's released and we're ready to see what people want to do with it and how they want to contribute. Awesome. I have a quick follow-up question on um, like the structure behind it. This is a question that I had when we were talking about it a bit last week. Is so you're you're entering into it's not really a marketplace. Maybe it's a marketplace of ideas of which are the frameworks that are really going to gain broad adoption. And there's some you know there's single companies, but very big companies behind some of your competitive frameworks, right? That have a lot of vested interest and a lot of dollars behind them. Um, what would you say are like the pros and cons to being backed by the JS Foundation versus a single large commercial entity with dollars to throw at things like this? Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. Um, I would say the biggest challenge actually is marketing, right? So Facebook and Google are quite good at marketing. And you know, on a technical level, I don't think we struggle at all. I think we've got really good ideas and we can put the engineering effort into it that we need to. And if you look at the size of the teams working on Angular and React, they're not actually that much larger than, say, the team working on Dojo 2. Um, maybe they can put in a little more. But it's not like, because I work at a company with billions of dollars of profit a year, they're going to put it all into Angular or React, right? They're going to still manage it and, and effectively determine a budget and, and build it accordingly. Um, but you certainly have a lot of might behind it. And people will say, well, I'll choose Angular because Google backs it, which is, is perfectly fine. Uh, but the, the consequence of that is Google could lose interest in Angular. They could decide they're going to put all their effort into Polymer. And obviously, that's not really a risk at this time, right? But the idea behind the JS Foundation is that if SitePen gets bored of Dojo, which obviously it hasn't in 13 years, it's still there in a way where someone else could take it over and, and continue to succeed with it. And so 
also say SitePen turned evil and, you know, suddenly wanted to charge license fees for Dojo, which we never would, but suppose we did. We can't do that because we've put it into this foundation that shepherds it and, and looks after it. So it's, it's like a, we, we give up control because we want more people to participate. Um, and we think that's a good thing. In Dojo 1, we got a lot of outside participation as a result. IBM contributed in huge ways. Sun, AOL, um, and like I think we had at one point like 250 con- corporate contributors um, where like the company signed an agreement saying they could contribute code, um, which was pretty impressive. So just a really nice mixture of organizations coming together to build something bigger. Yeah, that your point about uh, distributing it between or no one organization being in control resonates with me. Uh, you know, Facebook and Google, even if they decide that they're just going to lose interest, they're not building it for everybody. They're building it for them. They're building it for the thing that they want to accomplish. And what they want to accomplish might not be what the rest of us are trying to accomplish. Yep, which is fair. I mean, they've they've mostly succeeded because they have really listened to their communities and tried to build what people want. But it's one of the things where I think Dojo can say, hey, you know what? we're focused on a particular set of problems that we think are are wide reaching. um, And they may not be the same problems that you might, you know, be focused on if you're a different framework. Cool. So when I left, when I left SitePen, which was roughly six years ago, um, like I said, it it was around the time of Dojo 1.6, 1.7. And, you know, there were, there was talk of Dojo 2, but in the past six years, the, the way that frameworks have changed, you know, we went from the basic jQuery, MooTools, you know, sort of the, just the mini libs to now stuff like React, Vue, and like the whole industry has changed in that six years, right? Yep. And so what was it like, you know, in that last six years, getting from 1.6 to now Dojo 2, like how did the goal post shift for you over that time? Well, the joke is I've been talking about Dojo 2 since 2010. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to use the word vaporware. (laughs) Luckily, we didn't just start writing it for something in 2010 and go with what would have worked then, right? What we, what we did is we actually had some good ideas and then around 2015, we threw them all out and started rethinking it because one, we fell in love with TypeScript, even though it wasn't quite ready at the time, Um, just as a way to help people create more accurate code. Um, and two, we knew that this ES6 thing was going to be pretty big. And that's kind of an understatement, right? But pretty much everyone, everyone's perspective changed at that time. The third big point there was IE, IE8 finally died. And IE8 was kind of the thing holding people back. I mean, it was like everyone was asking for modern stuff but still needed an IE8 until about three years ago. And then suddenly it just fell off a cliff. Right. which was amazing because we've been awaiting the death of IE8 for a decade, you know, and it finally happened. And finally we were, but like React couldn't exist in an IE8 world. It would use too much memory and it would fall apart. And right. so just to be able to finally get rid of that first generation of browsers and, you know, to be able to embrace a whole new range of patterns is really liberating. Awesome. Um, so let's jump to, Dojo 2, which, which I was excited to see released. Um, give, me the, give me the sales pitch for Dojo 2. Sure. 
I feel like I've been doing all the talking. So well, well, we're going to talk TypeScript. Maybe Nick can have a turn. Yeah. Nick in marketing. <laughs> let's hear it, man. <laughs> Put you on the spot, Mr. Nisi. What's your sales pitch for Dojitsu? Because I know mine. <laughs> um, ask Dylan. That's the, the... <laughs> um, best sales pitch ever. <laughs> <laughs> what Dylan said. Uh, yeah, no, uh, TypeScript, or sorry, Dojo 2 is, um, I think that it's, it's big thing is that it's a, uh, lightweight developer focused TypeScript framework, uh, that really focuses on the ergonomics of, uh, the developer while not sacrificing too much in terms of, uh, performance. And so what we have is a nice opinionated set of, um, uh, of, functionality that we can use to build uh, components in the front end, the UI component, the UI piece of this is built around components. Uh, and we provide a really nice straightforward way to do that with uh, an underlying virtual DOM so that we're, we're very performant in what we actually provide, but we also provide a very um, opinionated framework for putting together an application in a way that, that um, feels good, is easily shared and uh, works well. Awesome. So, how would you um, how would you compare it against the other offerings in the marketplace, like Angular, or React, or Ember, or Vue? Sure. So, if on, if on the spectrum of out of the box, I give you everything you need, right? You kind of have React on one end, Vue kind of in the middle, and Angular and Ember on the far right, and we're probably somewhere between Vue and Angular and Ember in that approach. If you look at it from the spectrum of what's the general approach by which you author components, we're very much like React, except we're built with TypeScript and we have a number of things where we feel like we've fixed some things that we don't like about React, which I can talk about if there's interest. Um, but we also give you a lot more solid sort of default decisions out of the box that work together. So it's less of a, like the biggest complaint I hear about React is, okay, but now I've got to go make 500 decisions or find someone who's made all those decisions for me and put them together. And so we like the idea of really flexible and small pieces that have been crafted as a complete story and glued together in a way that makes sense to give you this nice experience. So um, without reinventing them all. So for example, we provide a really nice collection of build utilities, but they're built on top of Webpack. We provide a nice internationalization system, but it's built on top of Globalize, but with our approach that provides that in a sort of reactive, functional, you know, web component TypeScript-driven way. Or, um, you know, like we um, basically just, sorry, um, we just sort of put all these pieces together in a way that, that feels good, but doesn't feel like you're stuck with this heavyweight framework, basically. Yeah, I like that. So comparing it on the other side up uh, like uh, to the more, the even bigger Goliath frameworks like Ember and, and Angular, my personal experience using those has always been that the, the hardest part is when I need to use something that's not in the ecosystem. Yep. There's some third party, like some lib that I just, it does exactly what I need. And I just need to like shoehorn this thing into my Angular app, but mm -hmm. it's super painful to do it. 
Yeah. It's like so painful that it's almost easier to like just rebuild my own levels of pain. So what we've tried to do is avoid patterns that feel like, okay, now I'm stuck in the dojo framework, right? So we don't have this weird alternative module system that kind of lives on top of ESM. We just use ES modules, right? We align with pretty much every nice modern standard that makes sense. So instead of, you know, having a weird class system, you're using the, you know, the ES6 class system and, and so forth. So the idea is, or um, with our UI widgets, they're all importable or exportable as web components out of the box with no extra code. So the idea is if we can align with the direction standards are and where they're going rather than, you know, sort of crafting our own novel way to do everything, we can hopefully reduce that barrier to entry. And the other thing is we're making really good default decisions, but we're not breaking you if you if you know better. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's by pro- providing things that are really responsible for the thing they're supposed to do and only that and not like commingling concerns in weird ways, we can really provide that flexibility. And we really embrace the um, the platform as much as we can. Uh, as Dylan said, so we're using ES modules um, and uh, really relying on uh, common standards that are or in the language now or or just kind of de facto standards. Whereas uh, I think that that is not necessarily a departure from Dojo One. It's just that it feels that way because Dojo One was so all encompassing and everything. But it was really defining everything as it went, um, right. and it was a little bit harder to because. You know, we didn't have a, a standard module system uh, and such back then. It was harder to bring in external libraries. We're trying to make that as, as easy as possible with this by not really trying to, to reinvent the wheel on everything. We're really being focused on on where we think things are going and utilizing the things that are here to make it just an extension of, of the platform. The, the sort of biggest benefit of TypeScript is interfaces, which are missing from the normal ES language. And you know, interfaces describe the intent of your code. So if you want to replace something from Dojo 2, how do you do that? Well, you look at the interface definition and create a replacement that conforms to that interface. So you might write an adapter to the thing you want to replace it with. Um, So the idea is without interfaces, that's really hard to do. Like if you've ever tried to shim the jQuery API or, um, or, you know, Lodash's effort on underscore and so forth, right? It's really difficult to do without an API and, and interfaces give you that, that interface, obviously. Well, that's great. That, I, I like that a lot. Um, that's a perfect lead into TypeScript. And w- how did you take advantage of, of TypeScript aside from interfaces while you were building Dojo 2? So pretty much TypeScript gives you this sense, if you follow it the way they've intended the language to be, it gives you this extra level of discipline. Like some people think of TypeScript as a separate language, but it's really a collection of linting and developer tools that happen to express some of that as language features, right? And that's kind of a deep thing when you think about it. And like, yeah, they've introduced decorators and a few other things, but for the most part, they're just aligning themselves with where ES is going and then providing tooling to make it so that you know your code is working as intended and to describe how your code goes through time, meaning the, the shape of your code or your values or your objects can change. And it, the type system is really a type system for JavaScript rather than this alternative language to, to achieve that. So 
what it allows us to do is know that the code we deliver is working as intended because we've expressed how it should behave. Um, that's kind of the biggest win that we, we find. There are lots of little things like, all right, this is kind of a fun one. So um, in our widget system, we use uh, post-CSS and CSS modules. The idea is we want to, basically similar to how you would use Babel for ES6 to ES5 code, we use that to support CSS next to CSS current. And we use CSS modules to sort of separate our, our styles and classes on a per component level. So you've authored a CSS file. It's got a bunch of class names and say it's for your dialogue component. And then you're in your TypeScript or JavaScript code for your dialogue component. And it's time to specify that, okay, based on this reactive condition, this, pro this CSS or this property should be set um, to the CSS class. And typically you're like, oh, what did I call that class again? So you go back to your JavaScript, your CSS file, you look it up, maybe you typo it and it's not working, whatnot, right? Well, with the way we've put this together, we use TypeScript to get a list of those class names that are scoped to that particular widget. And then we have autocomplete that will only allow you to specify the CSS class names that are valid on that widget type. So you can't accidentally use the wrong class name or typo it. So yeah, that might save you five seconds a day, but it's like just a cool little thing that we can do by putting CSS modules and post CSS and TypeScript and a nice IDE and all these pieces together to just delight you in that, hey, I can't mess up my relationship between my class names and my JavaScript code. That would the save other... me way more than five, five minutes. <laughs> like, I, have, I have spent days fighting that problem. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I was just going to say another uh, really big benefit to, to going with TypeScript for Dojo 2 is, uh, as Dylan said, it's just a superset of the JavaScript language. And like in today's world, you're pretty much always, especially for front-end work right now, you're always transpiling from one version of JavaScript to the other. TypeScript is really a, um, a prescribed safe, quote-unquote safe uh, way to experience the best new features of the language uh, because they won't really make it to TypeScript until they're, the syntax is safe and ready to go. So it's a, a safe way to experience that along with additional type safety. So I think that there might be a good number of viewers who have not used TypeScript, but maybe use Flow in the React application. Like, how, how do they, um, what's the comparison there? Is there a comparison there? There is. They've converged a bit more over time. Like, early on, the argument for Flow was it was easier if you just wanted to type part of your application, um, but it didn't have interfaces. Right, and then TypeScript's gotten much better at answering the the like you can put TypeScript on a pure JavaScript project and determine if your code is consistent. It won't give you all the benefits of TypeScript, but you can start on that level now and work your way into it. Um, so, like TypeScript zero point nine was really promising but really painful, and around one point eight to two point two is when it was like, okay, we can actually use this for Dojo two and not put pain on our users from having to support this. Um, so it, it's really gotten better over time. Flow is, is certainly nice. And um, oddly enough, the way you do type definitions in Flow reminds me of how you did documentation in Dojo 1 with this sort of inline documentation system right before the things. 
whereas TypeScript adds syntax of like, you know, the variable name, colon, the type, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but they're, they're just, they're fairly different. Um, I would say TypeScript's a lot bigger than Flow in terms of community now. And um, I find it to be a lot more powerful because of its sort of focus on interfaces and other features. But certainly Flow is something that people like to use, and I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you know, certainly, it's, it's, certainly it exists. <laughs> I mean, I've never used it other than like trying it out, to be sure. sure. Okay. Um, I, have, yeah. I have used it on, um, I've contributed a few fixes to Code Sandbox, and they use it there. And um, it, it is pretty nice. In a lot of ways, it's kind of indistinguishable from JavaScript because they do actually have like a, uh, the same kind of type syntax now uh, with like, you know, this variable colon, whatever type. Uh, but they don't have as, as a full featured type. They don't have as, as big of features as TypeScript does in just not understanding it. But like they do have a way to define your own specific uh, types, so you can say that this is a a string or a number, or it's this object that has these keys on it. Some of them are optional, things like that. They don't have things like generics and um, other more powerful type features that the TypeScript provides. Okay, cool. Adding adding to what Dylan said earlier, actually, uh, the the really nice thing that's come out of stuff like Flow and TypeScript, at least for me, um, is they're especially helpful in open source where you don't know where, where or who this code is coming from. And so, you know, having that extra harness um, when people are contributing code is really nice. Yeah, I would think that's a benefit for, for both. It's just, um, I think the perception is TypeScript is something you have to fully buy into, but that's not necessarily the case. But honestly, I think the, benefits of TypeScript are when you fully embrace it. Um, we are fully strict in Dojo 2. Like we, every strictness that TypeScript offers us, we comply with because we don't want to add any potential pain to our users. So any issues we can resolve before they get to an end developer, the better off we feel about ourselves. Um, <laughs> most projects are not that strict um, and that's okay. I think the TSConf keynote this year, Anders had like a picture of a nun, you know, when talking about strict mode, which was pretty humorous. Um, but we're, we're pretty strict out of the box and, and we're, we're proud of that. I think it's particularly awesome that we're all here sitting around talking about uh, Anders and a, and a tool that came out of Microsoft and how awesome it is. Especially given the cease and desist in 2004 <laughs> over the name NetWindows, right? It took me a good year, maybe longer, to believe that Microsoft was actually going to do a real open source project. And um, um, I've gotten to know Anders fairly well over the course of Dojo. We've met with him in person a few times and we had, we hosted TSConf and he was the keynote speaker and we got to know him really well. And um, it's just, they're an amazing, humble, friendly team. Um, we couldn't be happier working with them. Um, and it's really changed our perspective on what Microsoft has become. Yeah. In some talks that I do, I usually talk about the Microsoft of the 90s that uh, they, they had this motto, embrace, extend, extinguish. And they tried to do that with like Netscape in the early days. They wanted to buy Netscape uh, and then, you know, have that be their browser, extend, embrace others' technology, extend it with their own proprietary stuff, and then use that to extinguish the competition. And they really don't do that. Uh, in the case of JavaScript, at least, they're embracing JavaScript and extending it by adding in these optional types. Uh, but it's it's their goal to never extinguish JavaScript. It's just always meant to be this layer on top 
that continues going and they're doing it fully uh, out in the open on GitHub, which is just uh, like, it's the biggest um, testament to the new Microsoft, I think is, is TypeScript, or at least from my perspective. You I guys are the regular new Scott Hanselman right here. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think Microsoft took over as the biggest contributor on GitHub or yes, being the biggest they, projects. The most, the most like lines of code contributed last year on GitHub were by Microsoft, which is crazy if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. The, I'm old enough to know that that's crazy. <laughs> I remember reading this sci-fi story in like 99 or 2000 that someone wrote, I can't find it anymore, about how in the year 2015, Microsoft would release their first version of Linux and fully embrace open source. And it was a total farce and humor and whatnot. And other than them not having a Linux distribution, everything in the story turned out to be true. <laughs> it's just amazing. I can't find it. I, I, so I would prove you wrong, except I didn't get one. At, at NDC Minnesota last week, Microsoft was there, and they were giving away penguins. Little, really? Little penguins yeah. that had the Microsoft thing on, on, the, yeah. on the tummy of the penguin. <laughs> Yeah, I had one. I just don't know which which case it's in. But <laughs> I, I mean, I think they did release. I think they do have their own distribution of Linux that they're running inside of Microsoft Azure. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> just three years later than when the the sci-fi said it would be true. But yeah. Todd Dylan's still bitter about the the cease and desist. All right, we can't we can't go too far <sighs> forward with Microsoft. It, no, like it, they've been great to us. Um, they've really helped out a lot. Like. When we've had a problem that needed to be fixed with Dojo 2, they've discussed it with us, helped us out. Like, we've found bugs at the last minute that have made it into releases the next day kind of thing. So they've just been how you want to work with people in the open source space is how they've been. Nice. Yeah. So, Nick, what does the Dojo 2 CLI do? What will that get me? Because that's, that's new to the Dojo world, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, so it's the biggest, um, or sorry, it's the easiest way to get started with Dojo 2 uh, by far. You just install it as um, a global NPM module, and then it gives you a Dojo command, and you can run uh, Dojo Create App or Dojo Create Widget, and it will bootstrap an app for you, run NPM install, install all of the dependencies, and then uh, it will also install additional CLI tools to allow you to uh, build and set up a dev environment for your your project so that it's watching your files and recompiling them as you save uh, and then starts up a server so you can just immediately get going and uh, playing with Dojo right out of the box. It also uh, wraps and abstracts away Webpack so you don't have to really deal with that. Um, as Dylan mentioned, we do have um, a lot of, of really nice features like the uh, ability to take a CSS file and generate a type definition file from that so that you can use that type definition file in your, your TypeScript and never misspell a, a class name. Well, all of that is custom Webpack config, and that's not something that you have to deal with at all. So we, we try and really um, take all of the, the best opinions that we have for the way that a, a Dojo project should be run and then um, put that into the CLI so you, you just run the commands and... Uh, can develop and then build a full application from that. Oh, sweet. That's really nice. Uh, a lot of the, the projects that are coming out are abstracting away Webpack. I, I don't know if, if it's fair that, <laughs> to say that Webpack has got, Webpack has in the past had a bad, I don't want to say bad reputation. It's had a reputation for being difficult to work with, I guess. Sure. Is, is, is Todd, I mean, 
Build systems are hard to get right. Right, and right, right. Like they're easy to get the first ten percent right, but we had a dojo build system, and it was insanely complex, and had did everything we needed, and and no one could understand the code. And I, that's kind of the beast of of what build systems are. Uh, but what we're able to do is kind of say, hey, like a dojo user building a simple application shouldn't have to worry about whether something is using Webpack to build it. It should just work. It should. Do code splitting out of the box based on how you what you're rendering. It should do um, optimizations to set up that first paint as quickly as possible using something we call build time rendering. Um, you know, eventually, what we want to do is also support the, a good default configuration for a PWA out of the box, rather than you know you having to set up a manifest file and set up your offline settings and figure out which code to download and. Um, you know, setting up your default service worker and all of those things, we should just say, hey, every app you create with Dojo 2 will be a PWA. Um, and like the idea is to take these things that are fairly challenging to do and give you a good solution to it that you could extend yourself if you want to. But, you know, most people don't like configuration until they need it, right? Okay. So why start with configuration? And from there, we do uh, support exp- uh, ejecting just like other um cli tools like create react app and and angular cli so if you do have to get really complex you can take that as a base and then eject and do all of the configuration yourself uh, and get really complex so it's it's really uh, a good starting point but it's also a good uh prescribed way to to get started and this and the the cli is really kind of the um the core of of one of our core values with dojo 2 which is uh really um really taking care to to uh, have a focus on developer ergonomics so that it is easy for you and you want to work with Dojo because it's it's just an easy tool to get started with. It has good APIs and you don't have to fuss with all of this boilerplate to get started. Like you shouldn't have to be a JavaScript expert and know how every dependency works to just get started and build a good application. Like you may become one or you may be one and but it doesn't mean you wanna have to figure everything out on a bespoke basis every day. Um, and then also, you know, we just looked at things where we've done enough work with other frameworks to know things that we liked and things that we felt just didn't quite work the way they should. Um, a couple of examples of the latter in the React world are, um, so say you're working with a DOM node and you are, you know, you're working, sorry, working with a virtual DOM and you're doing something like, I need the dimensions of this node to animate it, or I want to use a newer API like an intersection observer or a resize observer. Typically, the, the you know, escape hatch is to say, well, just give me the DOM node and I'll figure it out myself. And that kind of breaks the whole reactive virtual DOM-based approach. And so what we've done is we've gone through and looked at those common patterns and said, for those use cases, just give me the dimensions or give me the um, animation object or give me the resize event notification and provide those as properties in a reactive manner so I can continue to work that way. Um, So that's kind of a nice thing that's been solved. In the Redux world, we find that you're writing a a ton of fairly tedious boilerplate to reduce things and, and, you know, sort of get things into the way they should be. And so we've come up with an alternative approach to sort of state management um, known as Dojo Stores that um, effectively splits things into three key areas, like a process and an operation, and to facilitate things like an undo and redo stack, and to 
But basically, instead of saying, hey, you're going to have to shove everything through a reducer and through all these operators, the things that should do that just do that. And then a lot of times people working with Redux are kind of like, okay, I've got all these different places. Where do I write my business logic? Like, where should this work? So kind of taking that guesswork out of it and saying, you know what, when you're doing that kind of thing, it belongs in this part of your, your store to manage your state. And just really trying to kind of come up with a clean approach to that kind of problem. So just looking at the things where people stumble and trying to come up with a way that is recommended out of the box is, is pretty key to us and, and what we're trying to do. Excellent. I have to ask, because again, I love Digit so much. Um, where did Dojo 2 go with, with UI and Widgetry? So Digit in many ways inspired the web component spec, right? So the widgets in Dojo 2, they're virtual DOM based. Um, and so they, in many ways, you, like you could use JSX or the TypeScript variant of it known as TSX. Or you can use something known as HyperScript, which is a more functional way of describing like, hey, I've got a, a virtualized widget, its type is dialogue, it's got some properties, and it's got some children. It, it's essentially a, a pure JavaScript way of describing exactly the same thing as TSX. Or you could describe everything as a web component in markup if you wanted to. And so then you get these widgets, and they're backed by a VDOM. And then when you want to use them in a page, you could just use them in a pure Dojo application just from JavaScript. Or you can export them as standalone web components with basically a descriptor file that just says, okay, I want to map this property to this attribute in the markup that's going to be used to instantiate this web component. Or you can pull in third-party web components into your Dojo application in the same way. Okay, and do you have, are there still all the, I guess, the pre-made Widgets? There's, a, there's not as many, obviously, because it's um, still early. But yeah, we've got like 20-some widgets in the Dojo widgets package. Um, and then we have some of the same features, like we have internationalization support, and we have, um, we've tested them all for accessibility and focus management and things like that. And um, obviously, there'll be more to come there. Um, there's a lot more we'd like to do. We'd like to sort of come up with the preferred design system on top of the widget library and, and sort of better patterns to describe how you might write your own widgets. We still need to create our next generation data grid component um, or degrid and things like that. But we've got a really good start for how you author and use widgets and a good number of out-of-the-box components. And then what happened to Dojo X? I should ask, I should have, I should back up and, and say, oh, this is gonna be fun. Um, <laughs> there were opinions back when I was still there. Um, how much of Dojo, was Dojo 2 a complete rewrite? From the ground up, from, from the, the start. Okay, yep. from the ground up. And then what is the relationship between Dojo 1 and, and Dojo 2? How is this going to play out? Um, it's more of a coexistent strategy. So um, Nick is actually working on something right now to make it easier to use Dojo 1 widgets inside of Dojo 2. If you've written a whole bunch of Dojo 1 widgets and want to pull them forward, that should still be fine. Um, it's fairly easy right now to create a Dojo 2 component or an application and export the whole application as a web component and then put that in a web component wrapper that works inside of Dojo 1. Um, but they are quite different. I mean, JavaScript and the whole ecosystem has changed a lot. 
So eventually, people will probably drop all of Digit One and use Digit Two. Um, but you know, we know there's there needs to be some sort of uh, ability to use them together. But we're not expecting that to be the major problem people have in terms of there's not a like Digit One still works. If you've got a stable application, why would you rewrite five years of work overnight just to say you're using the latest greatest thing, right? Um, and but the language and the platform have changed so much, it would be unrealistic to say, run your code you wrote in 2010 before any of this stuff was in the language, and magically get out some useful code that's written in modern TypeScript and ES6 and Dojo 2 and and all of those things, right? So um, you you don't want to rewrite often, but when you get that chance, which is what we've taken, you kind of want a clean break rather than holding on to the things in the past that aren't working anymore. Now, when I mentioned Dojo X and how that was moving forward, you both giggled. So Nick, Nick, I want I want the real talk. <laughs> I don't want the marketing talk. I want to know exactly what happened here. <laughs> well, um, I think that that even when I was working more with Dojo One and Dojo X, there was a lot of areas of Dojo X that um, I would try and avoid just because of either lack of of um, ongoing development in there, or known bugs, or or other things. But there are other there. Were, then there were some great things that were in Dojo X, um, and those great things I think will be moving on um, in in some form. But again, it might not just be a uh, in the same way that we, that widgets have kind of transformed into what they are in Dojo Two. Some of the best ideas in there will really be. Um, taken and I think reabsorbed into Dojo as we go forward and as the use cases for them make sense and, and demand uh, is, is added for them. Yeah. Would you kind of agree with that, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, Dojo X was kind of started as a place to put experiments and extensions, things that weren't part of the core library or core widget system at a time when the way we could create bundles and modules and stuff in JavaScript was quite different than it is today. So ES imports, right? Make it so you can just import the function or just the small module that you need. So the need to really completely separate things into a separate package because it's extensions isn't as prevalent as it once was. But it's also quite a bit easier to say, hey, I'm going to create my own extension in my own repository if I want to and, and make that available. Um, so the, you know, that's not like back then, remember, we were using subversion. So having like 50 repositories would have been a terrible idea. So we needed a centralized place. So some of that need for centralization has gone away. There's actually a really funny story, though. When Nick first applied at SitePen, on his code activity, he used some features from Dojo X. And our team that reviewed him was like, I don't know if we should hire this guy. He used some stuff from Dojo X that I would never <laughs> use. And I'm like, listen, he's like trying to show us that he like is an amazing engineer and has really looked at all the things we've created. So we're not going to punish him for using something that we no longer like. You know, we put it out there, so we're not going to punish <laughs> someone for using it, right? Um, but I think that the biggest challenge with Dojo X is it was so huge that it, parts of it became a graveyard for, you know, abandoned and misfit toys and code, right? And we don't want that to happen again. So we're, we're trying really hard to not be the kitchen sink of frameworks. We're trying to just put in the stuff that we feel we can maintain and keep a near perfect quality on. And, you know, if there are other things we want to do, we'll get to them, but we're not going to rush them and just shove them in some bucket called Dojo X and hope for the best. Um, 
but we'll, we want to do a lot of impressive things. It should have been hugely qualifying that Nick got something in Dojo X to work exactly the way it was supposed to. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so this leads in well to something we, we touched on uh, briefly earlier is how do you, how do you plan on positioning and, and marketing Dojo 2 currently? Like how, how do you want to, how do you see this thing moving forward in the current ecosystem? So if you are, I mean, Dojo 2 could be used for almost any application, but the appeal is probably for people who want a really nice out-of-the-box experience that pulls in a lot of modern patterns and disciplines and approaches and gives you a good default set of things that work together without feeling heavy and complex. Um, and then that's kind of like saying we want to be right in the middle of all the other frameworks in that sweet spot. And Obviously, that's, you can't be that to everyone for everything. But for the types of apps that we typically build, we feel like we're more lightweight than some options and, and a bit more complete than some other options. So, What is that app? Like, What yeah. is that app that you are the sweet spot for? We do a lot of enterprise apps um, at, at SitePen, right? So we build your like pricing management software or your banking systems or just things that are are typically fairly involved and fairly complex um, and we want to do them in a way that doesn't have to feel painful to work with on a daily basis now we've done some really light small things with dojo too some nice demos that are out there and whatnot and those um it doesn't feel like the framework gets in the way of doing simple things but like if you need an application that has out-of-the-box internationalization support that just feels easy to provide, or you need to scale with large data sets, or you need to be able to um, you know, just do a lot of the little tiny things you'd have to do in an enterprise to support all the different types of use cases you might run into. You know, We want to make that feel pleasant and not feel tedious. Let me flip that around to ask the opposite question then, sure. is what are you not doing? Like these are, those are what your priorities are. What are you saying? This isn't what Dojo is for. We're not trying to be the kitchen sink um, and that we don't want to shove everything into the framework like we did with Dojo one. Um, so like, for example, right now we don't have a 3d or even a 2d drawing library. Um, but if you use SVG, you can just use SVG out of the box for your components, for example. Um, so we're, we're trying to really say, okay, we've got a f like five or 10 things that really fit together nicely. We've got a component system. We've got components or widgets. We have a routing system that is very declarative for the types of patterns you typically have in an application. We have this store approach. We have some core JavaScript utilities. Um, and some shims that, that fit in. And then we have this kind of set of patterns that tie all of those things together in a nice fluid way. And that's kind of the gist of what Dojo 2 is and then CLI tooling to put it all together. That's kind of what Dojo 2 is right now. You know, So it's not a diagram tool library. It's not trying to do every functional pattern that was ever conceived because it's cool. It doesn't have a separate math package. Um, you know, it doesn't do a lot of those extra things yet. It doesn't mean it might not at some point in the future. 
But we've said, what's that real foundational piece that helps you build a modern application of some complexity? And, and how do I do that efficiently? Okay, I have one last question for both you, you and Nick. Um, Dojo 2 release, congratulations. What's next? We want more immediately. What, yeah. you know, what, what's the game plan? Where are we going next? So do, we're going to be a bit more strict on semantic versioning. So Dojo 3 is probably only a couple months away, which is cool. Oh, okay. Um, I know on my list, we've got the data grid implementation, uh, design system, and, and better patterns around like abstracting and extending widgets. Um, we want to do the PWA stuff out of the box. Nick, what else am I forgetting? Like, just want to make things a little smoother out of the box for people wherever we can. But what else am I forgetting? Yeah, um, I was cutting out a little bit there, so I don't know if I heard everything. Uh, but there's some some standards uh, coming down the pipe that we're really interested in embracing and extending. Um, you mentioned oh, Dgrid. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I I cut out a lot, so I I couldn't hear what you were saying. It's okay. Um, but we're, we're really interested in in understanding how people will use TypeScript and adapting to those more common use cases, I think, as it gets more popular and uh, as anything that we may have overlooked really gets um, fleshed out and we can see that and then we can react and um, and make that a better user experience because that's really what we're about is a, a, a good experience for the developer um, with a very performance library. Todd, that's actually a perfect answer for you. If you hate the idea of TypeScript or type systems, Dojo 2 is probably not for you. <laughs> gotcha. I like we, it. We pretty fully... We're like, committed to that. Like, if, yeah. if if that's a bridge too far for your JavaScript style, maybe stick with Angular. Yeah. Or, in or, that case, or React. React. Because <laughs> <laughs> committed to that, too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? All right, so you're saying Dojo 3 is not that far away. I, I have a one last question to go with the one last question. And that's um, one of the things that I've personally been frustrated about is with uh, the new Angular and, and their release schedule. They are breaking a lot of things for, at least from the outside observer, silly reasons. Like, mm -hmm. did you really need to change that? Did you did you really need to just rename this thing? Was that was that helpful? Like, you're making me do all this work, and it's for for what? Please well, tell me you're not you're. Yeah. What, yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, and their solution seems to be we'll write tooling to refactor your code for you, rather yeah. than. Um, my feeling is that Angular 2.0 probably should have been the alpha, but they had done six betas before that, and they needed to ship. Angular 3 was skipped because they misnumbered things. Angular 4 was kind of the first beta. And Angular 6 is probably like a late beta in terms of where they actually want to get with how their API structure works. So it feels like they, they released a bit early, a year or two early in terms of where they wanted to be with how their, their code actually works. We'll see if we made the same mistake or not. I hope we didn't. We took our time to try to not have that kind of churn. Um, and we're pretty careful. Like, uh, this is going to be a breaking change. What's the impact actually going to be? Is this worth doing? Um, because we don't really want to break people if we don't have to. Um, but, you know, there are times where it's like, well, that was clearly a mistake. We need to fix that and, and not just rename things to rename them, but to actually make them better. 
Yeah. And, and for anything that's not obvious uh, as to why we might have introduced a breaking change, uh, we'll, we'll really try and be good about documenting those reasons and being able to point and, and, um, and defend against those decisions uh, because we, we really don't want to, to break your code. Excellent. Excellent. I hope we are not on opposite ends of a Twitter battle sometime <laughs> next year where I say, oh, you broke all of my stuff. You changed it from foo to foos. Whatever. You know, anyway. if, you, if you use Dojo 2, I think that would be cool. So <laughs> hopefully we won't we'll be having much more constructive Twitter chats if that's the case. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> all right. Well, that's an hour. It flew by. Uh, let's uh, let's jump to some takeaways. Uh, how we typically end the show is we kind of go around like, what is like one big kind of conversation point that we had today that really struck home with you? And I'll let our I'll let our guests go first. Dylan, what do you think? I think just really looking at how the ecosystem has changed and making sure that you know, you as an engineer are able to sort of adapt to that and, and find something that aligns with your progression through that. You know, I mean, like Dojo 1 in many ways was a bit too ahead of its time. And Dojo 2 is really trying to say, hey, this is where we think we are now and in the near future and how we can build really nice applications without having to sort of expose every bit of complexity all the time is, is a pretty cool direction and, and one that's not taken often enough. Excellent. What about you, Nick? Uh, yeah, I think um, give it a chance. It's really uh, a like, w- our our big focus is on developer ergonomics and trying to make it as uh, pleasant for development teams to work together on Dojo projects. And uh, if there's things that you see that that could be improved, uh, we're we really want to be open about all of that too. So please uh, contribute back and and um, open issues, pull requests, etc. Awesome. Awesome. We'll say for me, the big thing that I'm really excited about is to see another entrant into this space that isn't from a major like corporate interest. Um, it seems like Facebook and Google are kind of running the show right now. And I think that is not awesome for the web overall. And so I'm really excited for this to come out. I hope this is a resounding success uh, and I can't wait to see where it goes. David, why don't you finish this up? Yeah, my big takeaway was that having been away from the Dojo community for a while and seeing the rise of completely new types of frameworks um, like React and such, if I'm honest, I was a little I was a little worried for Dojo because I didn't know how it would turn out. And I think that having seen the release of Dojo 2 and everything that you guys have mentioned and looking at the code and demos that I had looked at before, I'm super happy for you guys. I think you've done really well. And um, I can't wait to try it out. I just hope that this, I hope that with, with um, I hope that with Dojo 2, it gets enough eyes and enough marketing to uh, get the attention that it deserved. Because I know that Dojo 1 didn't necessarily get that. But um, I'm, in, like, I'm incredibly happy for you guys. Well done. Thanks, man. Um, you know, if you go to Code Sandbox, I don't know if you've mentioned Code Sandbox before, but Dojo 2 is now a featured template on Code Sandbox, and you can, from their web-based editor, try out all of our Dojo 2 examples with TypeScript IntelliSense in the browser against multiple modules, and it's just a really fast way to try Dojo 2 out, so encourage people to do that. Um, so it's codesandbox.io, I think. Is that right? Yep. yep. 
Awesome. Well, Dylan, Nick, thanks so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to, to plug before we say goodbye? I think just uh, dojo.io is the website for Dojo 2. Code sandbox.io to try out lots of different Dojo 2 examples. And of course, um, sitepen.com is where we're working. Yeah, and uh, reach out to us on Twitter. We're Dojo on Twitter. Uh, and there's also a Gitter, uh, which is linked in our um, all of our readme. So you can uh, find us there, and it's on dojo.io. So we're happy to help answer questions. Excellent. That's great. So with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, this has been the Script and Style Show, our episode on Dojo. I hope you had fun. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new show. If you have ideas for what you'd like to see or what we should talk about, please hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Todd H. Gardner. And David, my co-host. David Walsh Blog. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.